Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome once again to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and if you've not listened to this podcast before, the idea is simple. I ask various people what five significant personal things from their life they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. They can choose four things that they cherish and one that they find embarrassing, annoying or unjust and would therefore like to be rid of by burying it deep in the ground. My guest in this episode is the actress Maria McCurlin, who you will have seen in The Fast Show, Gimme 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 and most recently Killing Eve. You'll also recognise her voice as the narrator of the long-running Channel 4 show Eurotrash, presented by Antoine de Cone and Jean-Paul Gaultier. Maria's also appeared on Have I Got News For You and Radio 4's Just A Minute, and she regularly co-presents the Grilled Graham section of Graham Norton's BBC Radio 2 show. She's also got a regular column in the Sunday Times and Esquire magazines. I spoke to Maria remotely at the height of lockdown, if you can describe that time as having any highs. And if anyone can lift your spirits, it's Maria. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Lovely, Maria McKellen. Hooray! Hello, Mr. Mike Fenton-Stevens. How are you? I'm very well. We've made contact in this world of isolation. <laughs> I know. Lockdown <laughs> crazy. I've got lockdown hair, lockdown face, lockdown brain. <laughs> I feel that all I've got is a lockdown hangover. Oh, well done. Congratulations. Are you hitting the booze during this lockdown? Terrible. I go until nine o'clock, which is not bad, is it? Yeah. But I can put away a lot of drink between then and midnight. <laughs> That's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen me do it. You know it's true. I don't want to bring that up. That was a terrible episode and let's put it behind us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, I've, I've burnt the photographs. <laughs> it's all gone. Okay, Maria, so we're going to talk about the five things that you want to put into a time capsule. Yes. Good. So what's your first item? Well, it's sort of chronological order. The first thing that I would like to put in a time pod that people can remember and think, 
That was a beautiful time. Mm. Was my school teacher in junior school, Mr. Strawn, who um, introduced me to Greek mythology, was just a, the most brilliant English teacher, and I loved him. And uh-huh. I like to think he loved me back mm. and would still love me back, even though I put him in a time capsule. But <laughs> it's. It's interesting, when I was sort of on the television a few years ago, he got in touch and we had, we corresponded in the old-fashioned way with letters and words and paper. Mm. And it was rather lovely. And I remember saying to him in one of these letters, Mr. Strawn, I never really knew, aged nine or eight or whatever I was, whether you were 20 or 50. Yes. Because rather like Bamba Gascoigne, he had that <laughs> sort of look that never changed. And it transpired that he wasn't that much older than me. We won't go there. And um, then he, he said, let's meet up. He'd, you know, subsequently got married and had children and blah, blah, blah. And he said, let's meet up. And we sort of tangled around this for a while. And then I realised, you know, that thing, don't meet your heroes. Mm. I, I, I don't really agree with that. But I think don't revisit your heroes because what's lovely, it's like reading a gorgeous book and then you watch a TV adaptation or a movie adaptation and it's never quite how your imagination has created it. No. So... Um, with lovely Mr. Strawn, we eventually we never managed to meet up, and I'm sort of glad because he will forever be suspended in aspic in my mind as Bamba Gascoigne of an indeterminate age, and <laughs> and as one of the most brilliant teachers uh, that I think I've ever ever had, and I would like him to go into a time capsule as a reminder to people that there are brilliant teachers out there who can open imaginations and minds and little tiny hearts Mm. and um i'm not sure he would sit well there frankly (laughs) (laughs) did you have a teacher like that mike oh everybody i think well uh, unless you're very unlucky you do have a teacher like that there's always someone who would inspire you to do other things or to to make you realize that you can do those things i think and it's brilliant quite a lot of actors do have an english teacher that that pushes them into a love of words and a love yes. of the use of language. And I yes. think that's what inspires them to become actors. Greek mythology, though, at nine. Yes, that, that was quite kind of left-filled, wasn't it? But it, yeah. it, it's, it was like a key that unlocked this box in my soul. I've been rather a sort of flighty child and living in a dream world. And that somehow appealed to me the whole mm. notion and we did the trojan horses and so on and so forth as well we, we covered l- lots of time in history i can't really remember obviously because i was nine but i just remember loving it and, and immersing myself in the world and wanting to be you know the goddess diana <laughs> <laughs> well you are Which you I are obviously. You, of course you are <laughs> so it's probably a good thing you didn't meet him as well, though, isn't it? Because his image would have completely changed in your yes, mind. Yes. When you have an image of somebody and you remember them as a, well, he would have been a young man when you knew him. And so that, that will live forever in your mind. It's a bit like I met an old headmaster and he's Mr. King and he said, oh, you know, please call me Richard. And I said, I can't. Don't make me call you Richard. That's terrible. No, That's changing everything, all the rules. And it doesn't work in my tiny little brain. No, no, you're right. I, I, I did a show in Bury St. Edmunds and afterwards I was walking through the foyer and a voice shouted, Mike. And I turned around and it was my geography teacher. And he went, it's Dick. And I said, no, it's Mr. Griffiths. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Yeah. Do not let light in on the magic, Mr. Griffiths, by calling yourself Dick, especially the name Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, he was only sort of about, he was a student teacher and just started teaching. So he was probably only three or four years older than me. Well, yeah. Of course, he thinks of himself as a contemporary of mine. Yes. But to me, he will always be my geography teacher. And you, you have to imbue them with a certain authority, even though they are only a few years older than you, for the magic to work. Yes. Otherwise, you know, contemporary, no. I'm just going to josh about with you and not learn anything and put you on a pedestal and have secret sexual fantasies about you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not with Dick, your geography teacher, I don't know. No, probably not. No, I don't think so. How do you spell his name? Ah, interesting question. S-T-R-A-U-G-H-N. Wow. Do you think there's some sort of German heritage there? <laughs> yeah, I think there is. <laughs> Strahan. Mr. Wow. Strahan. He oh, was actually quite a difficult teacher. I mean, I was lucky that he liked the cut of my jib, whereas others were not so lucky. And he could be ferocious, which obviously only made me mm. love him more. When a teacher quite likes your nature, when they like the fact that you're a bit cheeky or, in fact, you're sort of daring in a way. Or, you know, with me, I had one teacher who liked the fact that I was always looking for the laugh, as it were. I was always looking to get a laugh. Yeah. And he liked that. All the other teachers found it very annoying, as you can imagine. <laughs> yes. I spent more time out of class than I think I did in, in some lessons, <laughs> for, for doing that very thing. Always wanted to get the laugh. <laughs> uh, then again, the teacher that I used to get on with, Mr. Arrowsmith, who was my English teacher, he, um, he was completely barking mad. He was a wonderful man. He had a sort of a store cupboard. And if he was teaching you and he saw that basically he'd lost the class, we'd all drifted off into thinking about playing football or something. <laughs> he would walk to the cupboard and open the door and have a conversation with an imaginary friend who was inside the cupboard. I've lost them. They've gone. They're not interested at all. I know. Uh, I know. I might. Yes, you're right. I should just come in with you. I love him already. I love him. Shades of Morecambe and Wise. Yeah. I think for the store cupboard alone, I'm putting him in the capsule as well as a brilliant <laughs> in, teacher. In my capsule. <laughs> in your capsule. It's not about my capsule. No, no. We're talking about Mr. Strawn. They love Lovely English teacher, yes. And I think that uh, Mr. Strawn deserves to be preserved for all time in the time capsule. Hooray! Mr. Yeah. Strawn is going into the time capsule. Woohoo! There we are. So that's number one. Uh, what's, your, what's your second item? Um, my second one is going to be my dog. Ideally, my dog is a I've only had two in my entire life because I spent most of my life thinking I was very fearful of dogs. Thank you, Mum. But um, mm. my dog is Dolly, a very small toy poodle, and she has kept me sane throughout this lockdown, which I don't even know which day we're on, 59, 49. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2023. Did you know that? Uh, it could well be any time. I, I don't even know where I am anymore. But my little dog, who I'm allowed to go out walking with... And she sits in the front of my bicycle for my hour's exercise as well, mm. um, has just sort of given me a reason. I live alone. Um, I just say that because, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> by choice, by choice. And so during lockdown, it's incredible how much you have to be quiet and as we've said earlier, we are show-offs and we like to find the laugh 
And mm. it's quite hard to do when you're on your own. I mean, I think I'm driving my dog mad. I think she's been tunnelling out um, in an attempt <laughs> to escape me. But she is a source of constant amusement and company. And I think I think it was Douglas Hodge, and the actor Douglas Hodge, who said, um, love is a four-legged word. Do you see what mm. he did there? And mm. I, I think that's very, very true. A lot of people in lockdown are finding their pets um, as, as company and as companions. Yes. Absolutely. They would go mad without them, I think. I certainly feel that way. Providing enormous solace, really. I mean, uh, and also the, uh, an audience for you, it seems. <laughs> I've tried out a lot of my material, hasn't gone down that well, you know. Put your head to the left if it's a good joke, put your head to the right if it's a bad joke. Hasn't really worked out as well as I thought it would. No, but you could try out costumes, couldn't you? Do not do not parade them in front of your dog. What are you doing in my house? How do you know this? <laughs> Get out. Oh, dear. Do you have a pet at all, Mike? Uh, well, sadly, I had cats for many years and I was Ooh. very fond of them, but they they both passed away last year. They're both oh. gone. Oh. Yeah, I say passed away. We're both injected. Oh. You know, yeah. mm. Which led to the passing away. Yes. So it's sort of my happen. fault, really, but there, there was no choice. No, there comes a point when it's, you know, the final act of love, as they say, mm. is to give them that injection. Well, not you give it to them because you don't no. know what you're doing, but to, for a vet to do that. Okay, so I made that mistake then. <laughs> well, you'd think after the first one you'd have learned, but no, the second one <laughs> had to die too, just so you could get your preliminary veterinary examination. Let, let me have another go at this. No, it's not true. No, and, uh, and it's a very upsetting and uh, sad thing, isn't it? It's a terrible thing, the loss of a pet. Yes. What was your first dog then? So oh, you my had first two. dog, yes, um, was a little Maltese terrier who I think mm. it was the runt of the litter. And I'd never had a dog before, so I didn't know dogs were meant to do things. This one really didn't do anything. It was like a sort of occasionally animated glove puppet, a white <laughs> furry glove puppet that just followed me around and didn't literally didn't do anything, didn't have any tricks, didn't know what to do anything. But I just thought it was rather sweet. Mm. And that one I had to inject, not myself. Um, and, you know, you kind of know when the right time is to do that. And it's... Yeah, yeah. It's like losing, I think the thing about dogs is you sort of imbue them, or cats indeed, you imbue them with your own um, personality, if, if you like, or element of your being. And mm. so it, it's not even like losing a, a member of your own family, as people say. It's like losing a piece of yourself yes. because um, you have created them in your own likeness, she says, in a rather alarming fashion. <laughs> a rather godlike way. <laughs> yes. Uh, so how many years was it then that you believed you were scared of dogs before you realised you weren't? I don't think I didn't get my first dog until I was forty-eight. Right, and up until that time, you were you were reticent about going near them, were you? Yes, yes. We used to come back from church, Catholic church, when I was young, and there'd be you know dogs going out for walk, and my mum would just stay still to the spot and say, "Stay still, stay still, stay still, stay still." It's a dog, it's a dog, it's a dog. So we were all petrified, needlessly, yeah. needlessly, because now I know that that was clearly insane. No, in, in <laughs> fact, more likely to rile a dog than just walking by them, I would imagine. Yes. Why have they all gone still? Why, are they, why do they all look so frightened? Oh, they're statues. I'll just have a piss against them. <laughs> <laughs> My mother had a little dog that she said was terrified of big dogs because every time a big dog came nearby, it 
needed to be picked up. It would be asked to be picked up. Ah. Because the truth is a complete opposite of that, is that my mother was terrified of big dogs yes. and therefore picked the dog up. And then it learns that. It feels that fear through the lead, I think, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it knew. It knew this is what it was supposed to do whenever a big dog came near. <laughs> we play a strange game with these little creatures. I mean, this this dog that I have now, in comparison to the last one, is, you know, a Rhodes Scholar. It's incredibly <laughs> clever and dog-like and can do all the dog things that it's supposed to do and indeed does. And, you know, the, the, the very thought of losing... Another dog makes me think, oh, why did I get one in the first place? This is is insanity. I I think the reward well outpays the pain. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll see. We'll We'll see. see. So my dog is going in my capsule and the other one can can go along as well. What's the name of your dog? Dolly. 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 Well, I'm I'm going to put a bowl in there with Dolly on it. Yeah. And people always say, what's her name? And I say Dolly. And then they say... Hello, Dolly, and think <laughs> and think they're being hilarious. Think which they're course, being witty. Of course they are. Yes. Well, I'm going to say goodbye, Dolly. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I can dig her up occasionally, can't of I? Of course can you I? can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's well, what I be... do with my last one, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. It's time to move on. I think. Yes. So that's two items we've got inside mm. the time capsule. Right. Lovely. What's your third item? Um, I'm going to put in a play that I did, I you don't even know when, actually, because that's what <laughs> happens when you get old, called An Evening with Gary Lineker, written by Chris England and Arthur Smith. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put all the cast in with me because they are some of my favourite people, Caroline Quentin, Nicholas John Hancock, Mawena Banks, uh. Andy Taylor and Chris England, indeed. I'm putting all of them in with me. It was a play written about... Italia 1990, uh, which was the World Cup, and we got to the uh, semi-finals, and it was all terrible. And of course, Germany beat us. Hang on a second. I'm just going to have to say to my wife, "Can you stop hoovering the stairs?" <laughs> Hang on a second. We're coming back. Hello. I'm just doing a quick recording. Hang on. That will be Mandy Fenton, as you know her. I do. Lovely Mandy. Hello to her. Uh, I, I like you. I like you going, I'm just doing a quick recording. <laughs> Sharpening your axe as you do it. Oh, my word. There aren't many occasions uh, that I find myself in front of this microphone actually talking to people. And <laughs> it always seems to be the moment when everybody decides to deliver post. Mandy's decided to do the hoovering. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I like that she hasn't lost her cleanliness during lockdown. <laughs> no, once a week we, we scrub everything and out comes the Hoover. <laughs> well, she does. I sit here and chat with people. Yeah, yeah. So an evening with Gary Lineker, yes. Evening with Gary Lineker. We uh, started the show in Bath, I believe, when it was a sort of tryout. And then we moved on to Edinburgh Festival, had a wonderful time there with that cast. And then we moved into the West End, into the Duchess Theatre. Mm. And it was a really lovely time, uh, other than the fact that I do believe at the time Gary Lineker's son um, was sadly diagnosed with leukaemia. He was very, very young. Oh, and, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, he was very, very young. And just before we were going to open, and obviously this presented the producers with a sort of ethical problem um, and also financial problem if mm. we didn't open. So what they decided was that they would... Um, donate a certain percentage 
to the Great Ormond Street Hospital or wherever little baby George was, I believe. And um, this was great. And so we did open and the entire England football team came to see it, (laughs) sitting in the front row, which was a great thrill for them, I like to think. (laughs) Um, But it did also mean that we never recouped our initial outlay. Cleverly, the producers said, well, we're going to put you up to this amount of money after a certain amount of time. Yes. And, And we sold out constantly. But because of the contribution, seemingly, we made to this charity, um, we never quite recouped our money and so we, and money never went up. It's always slightly rankled with me. Thank yeah. you, Mike, if you see what I mean. Not that we gave the money to charity, but I think no. it was an excuse. They knew what they were doing. You'll get big money once it goes into profit. Yes, exactly. It exactly. never has gone into profit. I've heard people say things about Star Wars films. You know, once we go into profit, your fee will go up. And, uh, and it turns out that somehow they always manage to write things off and never go into profit. Yeah, it's a clever trick. It's a clever mm. trick. And we fall for it every time because we're yeah. vain, vain show-offs, basically, and we'll do things for nothing if you praise us endlessly. Mm. <laughs> yes, I did a play, Gulliver's Travels, uh, which had a cast of about 15, and uh, it was profit share. So you could never really make more than about £10 a week. But did you have a lovely time or not? I did have a lovely time. Although I seem to remember feeling rather stupid when they said, this is going so well and it's selling out and everybody loves it. So we're going to extend it for five weeks. And I thought, I can't afford to extend it for five weeks. You're paying them really, aren't you? Yes, you do. You were contributing your work for nothing, really. But it it was brilliant fun, yeah. So there we are. I do understand that that feeling of uh, well. This is one of one of those occasions when you know we've done lots of crazy things in our careers where I enjoyed mm, the company and I enjoyed the sh- play. I enjoyed the entire experience, and mm. I didn't really want it to end except for when I, for those people that have done the West End shows you know, for two years or three years. Yeah. I have such great admiration for them because really by the end of six months, I was over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a cast though, isn't it? Yeah, no, it was a great cast. And yeah, at the end of six months, people are saying, now I missed my laugh on that line that I normally get a laugh on. So if you could just kind of be off stage for that, that would be very good because <laughs> I think you're stealing my laugh with whatever gurning you're doing at that point yes we've all been there i did hear a story of uh, donald cinder was doing a play with somebody who kept stepping on his laugh and he said to this person if you step on my laugh again you'll regret it <laughs> and this person then the next night it came to the moment and as donald cinder was about to do this funny line this person sort of coughed or moved his jacket around and <laughs> And Donald Sinem for the rest, till the interval, every time this person had a funny line to say, he just went. (laughs) (laughs) I love that because it's so childish. It is ridiculous. (laughs) And and eventually the person came up to him on stage and said, all right, all right, I'll stop. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Because I was expecting there to be some, you know, witty riposte or very, very clever way. (laughs) (laughs) But no, a raspberry every time they have a line. It's the killer. It's it's brilliant. (laughs) Right, there we are. Okay, the lovely An Evening with Gary Lineker. What a great play it was. So I'm happy to put that in there because I might pop in sometime and have another look at it. Oh, don't know if it's aged well, but there you are. Neither have I. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's why I'm putting it in, really. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. We've got your dog, and we've got uh, Mr. Strawn. Mr. Strawn, and then we've got an evening with Gary Lineker. Mm. So we've got two left, and one of these, I'm afraid, has to be something that you want to get rid of. We're going to take a short break here for some adverts. We'll be back in a minute. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what the fourth thing is that Maria would like to put into her time capsule. I'm going to choose the bad one now. Okay. I'm going to put in as my bad one all of airport security. Every single last bit of airport security. Because um, when we had to start taking our shoes off and, you know, emptying out liquids into tiny bottles that you can only spit into before they're full up, Mm -hmm. um, it sort of changed travel. It just became a real bore and a pain. And I was going on a trip. I think it was a work trip, actually. It was for a a commercial, a work trip to um, somewhere in the Caribbean, not entirely sure where. I can't remember. Been too many times, you know. Yes, I know. Back and forth, back and forth. I have. I have been because I dive a lot. So I have been to the Caribbean a lot. Oh, lovely. And so off I I went and I left Gatwick and had all my checks done and my shoes off and my pants off and everything. (laughs) And through, you know, a thermal imaging camera and so on. And I had a small slide in my hair. Um, and then I got to nearly to where we were going, Granada, I think. And um, the plane had to be diverted. Something had gone wrong with the plane and it was diverted and they couldn't make it mend. And so the following morning, we would try again. Yes. But in the meantime, mm. in the hotel. I was very cross now because I was late for this commercial. Mm. And the following morning at six o'clock, off I went to go and get on the plane. And they said, take that slide out. Yeah. And I said, why? And they said, because it's... Um, dangerous. And I, <laughs> and I said, no, 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 it's not dangerous. And I came through Gatwick with it. It's perfectly fine. But I think they just didn't like the cut of my jib. I was probably very cross too. And they said, well, then you have to wait and we'll see you in a minute. So in the meantime, I went to the loo and I threw the slide away. I thought this is not worth making a big deal about. Mm. Went back. Then they couldn't find the slide and they wanted the slide. <laughs> they needed the slide to make sure that it wasn't on my person. I said, I'd thrown it away. They couldn't find it in the loop. This was, you know, ludicrous. Yes. And um, then they said, well, then, if you don't produce the slide, we are going to arrest you. Oh, my... (laughs) Really? (laughs) So they arrested me, and I was in a room with a little grey blanket... And I had, took a photograph of myself looking like a sort of refugee in the in the grey blanket, always, always one for an opportunity. Yes. Then they decided they were going to chuck me off the plane. Then I had to deal with all the anger of the people waiting to get on their holiday while they took my 
case off the plane. You know that one. Yeah. Everyone yeah. hates the person whose case has got to be taken off the plane. And then I was abandoned on this Greek island. <laughs> um, let out of prison. The governor had come to tell me off, who I subsequently wrote to after my piece in The Telegraph. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to get a flight myself um, on onwards to wherever it was I was going after being in prison and chucked off a plane for a slide that I no longer had in my hair. That escalated badly, didn't it, Mike? Didn't it? Just, I, But I am affronted on your behalf. I've, I think it's extraordinary. A, a hair slide. A hair I mean, slide. I mean, the, the point is, I don't think that terrorists are very stupid and that if you set up some sort of way of, of monitoring it, they'll get round it. And I think if somebody really, really wants to do those things, they'll probably succeed. It, it always occurs to me that, that sitting on a plane in normal class or second class, that, you know, we're given food with a little knife, a little plastic knife that snaps as soon as you try to cut through cheese or something. That's right. In first class, they've all got full cutlery and glass champagne flutes. <laughs> They're murderers. They're well, all potential so, murderers. You know, I don't think it takes a lot, a great leap of imagination for a terrorist to think, well, all I have to do if I want to take the plane hostage is to book into first class because yeah. they'll provide me with the weapons. It's true. And I think, you know, I obviously thought about this a lot because I was abandoned in this strange place and felt, felt rather alone, but defiant. Mm. And I think what it was was... He had decided, it was a he who had decided that this slide was in some way uh, could be used as an offensive weapon. And when I laughed and said, sort of, no, it's just a hair slide, and I got through Gatwick with it, yeah. his masculinity, his tenuous grip on his masculinity <laughs> was, um, you know, he was offended, and then he could not back down. And I think that's where I went wrong. Yeah. In other countries, you have to remember that the culture is perhaps very different to the one that you've just come from. Yeah. And I think, you know, I failed to recognise that. Well, I think that thing of male pride is, is, is universal, I'm afraid. I think we all uh, very easily become affronted by people challenging it. Mm. Uh, when, in fact, it's a thing that quite often should be challenged. I mean, the governor of the, the the island actually said, you know, this is a ridiculous thing, but it did escalate and you didn't help yourself by taking pictures mm. of yourself in the cell in a grey blanket. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, the, for the piece I was already planning to write. <laughs> <laughs> You've manufactured this for a newspaper story, haven't you? <laughs> it did slightly appear. Anyway, so that's why I'm putting it all airport security. And, of course, it's now even more difficult to get anywhere. Not that any of us are going anywhere at the moment. No, no. I look back on that story with fondness now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, think of the fee. <laughs> and the fee, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I, I'm not sure I could put all airport security into the time capsule. Okay. Because I'm sure that they do a very good job and it's not an easy job. Nobody's very, very pleased at four o'clock in the morning waiting for a flight to Alicante to have to take your shoes and belt off. No, but what about overzealous? Overzealous misogynists. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Although waiting at airports, sometimes they produce 
gorgeous moments. A, a long time ago, when I was in Greece with my family and we came back, I had two small children and my wife and the baggage, and we uh, we were slowly edging forward as the queue edged forward. And then a man with a small attache case and, and a wife sort of attached to it, and with a, with a jaunty sailor's cap on. That's not good, is it? No, no that deserves no. a punch. I immediately didn't like him. Uh, anyway, he kept moving alongside me, and I thought, this man's going to jump the queue. And eventually he did. And I said, excuse me, I, I think there's a queue. And his wife said, oh, dear, somebody's had a very miserable holiday. And before I could shout at him, mm. my wife said, yes, your husband, I should think. Eee, well done, Mandy. That's marvellous. Isn't it just? She was on fire that morning. Yep. I was happy to let him go. Go on, off you go, off you go. Bye. Love the hat, by the way. Happy memory. A rude word springs to mind there, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> I won't say it. No, neither will I. No, but he was a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> You went there! Hooray! <laughs> we will put that man and the overzealous nature into the time capsule. And uh, you'll never have to suffer it again. No. It's gone. Thank you! So it's time for your final item. My final item um, is going to be the sea. I moved to Hastings fully just uh, a year ago, um, mm -hmm. but I've had a little place here for um, 14 or 15 years. And it was the sea that made me come because, I don't know, when you're a part of your kind of 180 degrees you have of sea, mm. um, there's something incredibly pleasing. You just turn your face to that view and I'm lucky enough now to have to occupy a little place called Coast Guard Cottage where oh. I um yes where I look out of my window with my binoculars looking for seamen in distress um and uh, <laughs> I can't imagine why <laughs> I am a modern day Grace Darling going out in my galoshes and yellow mac uh, to, to rescue people. Um, no, I'm not. But I, I do know every sort of movement and every different colour and inflection of the sea. And I also now do all year round swimming. When I say the sea, mm. it's the English Channel, which doesn't sound quite so romantic. Um, but it is beautiful and calming and meditative and wonderful to swim in. Although the last time I went in, I think it was only five degrees, Ooh. which is mind-numbing. You know when mm. you a cat, a cat eats into an ice cream and it just a paralysed face? <laughs> That's the sort of face you get when you go into the sea. And it's um, because I'm sort of up high, Coast Guard Cottage, obviously looking for salty seamen, um, it's 66 steps down and I'm on the seafront and I can go straight into the sea and then run back up in my wet swimming costume if I so desire. Uh, so I'm, I couldn't really be closer. And I've seen it in raging conditions, mm. the most extraordinary skies. And I don't think I've ever seen the same image twice. I'm boring myself here slightly, Mike. Um, <laughs> with, with the sea. I've never seen, uh, you know, the, oh, that's a bit like two weeks ago. I think it's always somehow different. The cloud formations, the horizon. There's 
a reassurance about that steady horizon that mm. rarely changes. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know what your feelings are about sea swimming and s- swimming in general. Well, uh, generally, I do love looking at the sea. I mean, I agree with you. I could look at that view for hours and hours and hours, and I find it very relaxing. And I'd like seas when they're really rough and wild. And mm. I, as long as I'm sitting on the on the land looking at them, the idea of going on the sea, or in fact, in the sea, I, I don't like it at all. No, not when it's very rough. And I've seen people, you know, think that they can, I do sound like an old salty sea dog now, think <laughs> that they can conquer the waves. And you know, the power of water smashing down on you when people go, no, 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 I'm a very strong swimmer, I can, I can sort that. And then before they know where they are, they're in a washing machine tumble dryer and they're smashed to the floor. Mm. And they say it takes three waves before you lose kind of uh, uh, strength because you're cold, yeah. you're disoriented, and then, you know, you're a bit fucked, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do, I do know exactly what you mean because I have experienced it. I, I, uh, but then in a situation that you would imagine, it would never have happened. I went swimming with some friends, friends that you know, in fact. I, well, I'll name them. I went yes. swimming with, with Helen Atkinson Wood, yes. Philip Pope, yes. Angus Deaton, and Jeffrey Perkins, and we well, all... all members of that wonderful radioactive theatre company. That's what brought us together. But we were in Australia, and we were on Manly Beach. How lovely is that? I know it well. Yeah. So we we went in. There was a sign up saying uh, only swim between the flags, and we looked, and we went, "All oh, right, so this is the best place." But in fact, there were two flags at one end of the beach, and two flags at the other end of the beach. And the place we went into was in the middle of the most ferocious riptide. Oh, my goodness. So you didn't yep. go into the two bits on each end and the nope. riptide was in the middle. You are we went right you're into the all Oxbridge educated. What is wrong with you? <laughs> We're English. <laughs> We're in a foreign country. We had no idea. We went in and we immediately got just pulled out by this incredible force of water and also it pulls down because yes. the water's going on, you know, so we yeah. were being dragged under. And I almost immediately thought, we're going to die. And we, we, within seconds, we were, we were 30, 40 metres out and still going out. And I think uh, I remember Helen saying, uh, bye. And she was convinced we were gone. And then Jeffrey said to me, Mike, you're the strongest swimmer. Try and get to shore. And I swam to shore like a lunatic. But luckily, I sort of swam at an angle. So I swam out of the riptide. Yes. And I did, make, I did make it, but it was exhausting. And I crawled myself onto the beach and then I waved at these people walking by on the seafront. And there was no one else there because it was slightly cloudy and Australians can't be asked to swim when it's cloudy. That's right. <laughs> so uh, who can blame them? It's only the English would do that. And then I said to these blokes, I, I'm, I, I'm terribly sorry. I, I, I'm sorry to disturb you, but I think my friends are drowning. And, and they went, are you true ripper? What does that mean? It means, are you telling the truth, I think, in okay, Australia. Okay, okay. And, uh, and then they grabbed their surfboards, went out and brought them back in. Thank oh, they went out with surfboards. My goodness, my, the hairs are standing up on the back of my neck at this story because, uh, meanwhile, while you were swimming out and then being very English to the people, to the rescuers, they mm. presumably were going ever further. They were. They were a long way out. 
And they, they only just got them in time, apparently. But we then took these blokes to a bar and we all got drunk together and everything. And we laughed and we, <laughs> I can't believe we were so stupid. And we bought them lots of drinks and lovely. And we patted them on the back and off they went, these people who'd saved our lives. We never saw them again. And then we all individually got back to the hotel we were staying in, uh, phoned our loved ones and wept down the phone. I was going to say, did you have post-traumatic stress about it? Because Yeah, that... yeah. And that's what stuck with me. I really hate going out of my depth in the sea now. All these years later. Well, they do say, of course, I mean, Australian tides are very different and, you know, can be really... But on the English, in the English Channel, they say if you get caught in a rip, then go with it. And it will normally dump you mm. um, just a little bit further around the coast. There was, you know, when one of the storm, one of the many named storms that we've had recently caused a surfer to uh, go in from the Harbour Arm down in Hastings. Insane thing to do. And, of course, yeah. lost his board within moments and was taken up by a rip. And he just stayed with it. He was experienced enough, still stupid, but experienced enough to know that the tide would take him round to Fairlight, which is just around the coast, and managed to survive uh, after being in the water for about three and a half hours. Good Lord. A very foolish thing to do. But so that was, uh, you know, a similar situation. But most people just struggle and fight against things like that because you just want to, you just want terra firma under your feet. You don't want to be yeah, in the yeah. water anymore. That's a terrifying story, but I don't think it would, would ever happen down here in Hastings. No, thankfully. Can you? I'm just wondering what the headline would be to the all of uh, radioactive wiped out in Man, on Manly Beach. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> unknown hopefuls. <laughs> Die foolishly. Oxbridge <laughs> graduates swim in wrong area. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, I'm not sure that I would have been a great loss and I'm not sure that many of us would have been, but I know that Jeffrey Perkins would have been a great loss to the world of comedy. He certainly would. And we, we still miss him to this very day. We do indeed. There we are. On that lovely uh, note, I'm going to say, I'm going to seal up your time capsule. It's in ah, there. So I've, the sea is the going sea. in. It is, yeah. It's a huge, huge time capsule. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to drown everybody else in there, which was my secret plan. Yeah, don't worry. No, the time capsule is going to be on a slant, so the sea's at the bottom. Ah, you've ah. thought this through. You have thought this through. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not just making it up as I go along, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. And to you, Mr. Mike Fenton-Stevens, one of the nicest men in show business. <laughs> Who's the other one? <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Maria McKernan. You can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. And why not leave a review and rate us? We'd be most grateful. Unless you're that bastard who just gave us one star. Bastard. This programme was produced and edited by John Fenton Stevens, and the music was by Pass the Peas Music. You can follow My Time Capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, at MyTCPod. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Fenton Stevens. My Time Capsule is a cast-off production. Thank you very much for listening. And hope to see you again soon. Bye.